0: Today in Canadian history for January the 24th, I'm Joe Barima. On today's episode, we focus on an intense and important issue in Canada's history: the internment of Japanese Canadians during World War II. Following the bombing of Pearl Harbor in December of 1941 and throughout the war, under immense pressure from the public, the Canadian federal government laid siege on the Japanese-Canadian community, particularly in BC. Thousands were ordered to evacuate from the Pacific Coast area, interned, and were stripped of their property rights. W. Peter Ward is a professor of history at UBC. He is also the author of White Canada Forever.
1: I think it's fair to say that the Japanese-Canadian community had been a beleaguered community for a long time. It was very much uh, uh, like all the Asian minorities. Uh, it, it, it existed here uh, in a state of diminished Civil liberties. The, the, the Japanese uh, residents in Canada, including Japanese Canadian citizens, uh, were not denied the vote. Or were denied the vote, I should say. For example, this is one of the. I suppose the vote is really the the single most significant symbol of uh, inclusion into the, the the political community. And uh, in that sense, uh, the Japanese Canadian people who lived here uh, were powerless. <laughs> You have to keep in mind here that the the Japanese community was divided essentially into two groups that were to some extent generational uh one group were a group of people who had come from Japan and were still Japanese nationals who had not become citizens of Canada for one reason one reason or another and then there were others who uh had either uh, taken out citizenship but had the diminished citizenship rights that I've just mentioned or were born here and of course were citizens of Canada because they were born here as well. Uh, so that the the first generation of migrants were predominantly still Japanese nationals. Their children, of course, were overwhelmingly Canadian, uh, but subject to uh, the same kinds of limitations of of civil rights that I've I just mentioned.
0: What was what was life like for these individuals who who were relocated as the as the term is?
1: Well. Um, the relocation process uh, took some months, uh, and it was a, a, an organized process of, of population removal. Uh, uh, different groups of people were uh, uh, contacted and uh, requested, required, in fact, to report to a, a, a center in Vancouver at the P&E Grounds, actually, where they stayed briefly, and then were allocated to uh, a place in the int- mostly to the interior of the of the province uh where they uh, were sent for the duration of the war uh there was some uh, there was provision in the law, the law uh that allowed people of japanese ancestry to move voluntarily as long as they left the the, uh, the protected areas and a small proportion of them did they tended to be people who uh, could afford to do uh to undertake the move on their own uh, people who, in some cases, had to sell most of, if not all, of their assets in order to finance the move, but uh, they were—they remained outside the formal structures of the relocation process, as it was organized by the government. But uh, most other people, in fact, were sent to relocation centers in southeastern British Columbia, uh, many of them uh, in the Slocan Valley. Uh, and there were also others who uh, were sent uh, beyond the mountains to southern Alberta to work in uh, in, in, in the sugar beet industry and in the Lethbridge area as well.
0: Now, what was what was the basis? What was the the foundation for this reaction from the Canadian public? Um, I, I don't imagine that uh, that there was the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and then all of a sudden there is this uh, this outcry from from the people of BC. Uh, I imagine there are other signs in the past.
1: So. Well, uh, this this was the the last and most dramatic uh, expression of a deep rooted animosity and anxiety that was felt in British Columbia and indeed pretty well everywhere in Western America, and to a lesser extent in other parts of Canada, too, that goes back to the earliest days of Asian migration to to North America. Uh, There was hostility uh, towards the first Chinese who came here during the gold rush uh, in the 1850s, later 1850s and early 1860s, and another resurgence of it uh, during the construction of the CPR. This was aimed specifically at at Chinese migrants, and when the Japanese uh, uh, migrants began to arrive in Canada, uh, in in British BC specifically in the 1890s, uh, that uh, animosity was diffused to them as well. So there was a very long history of of anti-Asian sentiment, uh, lots of forms of popular racist expression, uh, and in a certain sense they culminated in this uh, last and most dramatic expression during the period after the war, after the war formally broke out, what, uh,
0: what what kind of an impact did this this event have on the Japanese Canadian community?
1: Well, it, it was immense, absolutely immense, because uh, prior to the war, uh, the Japanese community in B.C. Uh, was not too widely dispersed. There was a, a major community, the largest community was here in Vancouver, uh, centered around Powell Street, which was the historic center of, uh, of, the, uh, of the community. And there was another large uh, community of Japanese Canadians uh, living in Ladner or the area around Ladner now. And that uh, was uh, a community uh, of people who worked principally in the fishing and canning industries. Uh, There were also uh, significant scattered groups of of Japanese Canadians living in other coastal areas as well, but these are the two largest uh, communities. And, of course, what happened was that these communities were utterly destroyed as as communities. Uh, The individuals, uh, by and large, uh, had lives that persisted. Uh, I don't think there was much loss of life associated with uh, the relocation, and if it was, it was because uh, elderly people uh, would have succumbed to the problems of relocation. I suppose, but I've never heard that discussed particularly. So this was a very much a, a peaceful relocation, but uh, it, it was immensely destructive in terms of the um, the, the cohesiveness of these communities. I suppose the other thing that's really fundamental here is the fact that that uh, the Japanese people who came to Canada were were by and large people of very modest means. Uh, they had come to Canada to improve their economic standing, to find uh, uh, a more secure livelihood uh, in a new country, and to to begin family life uh, and to, to to live as immigrants have always and classically done in North America to to start again. And uh, because these people were uh, required to leave, uh, they were required to give up their assets. There was a process of uh, the collection of cars and boats and domestic assets and real, real estate and so on. Uh, the, uh, their property was taken over by a government agency, and the, uh, the agency quickly discovered that it couldn't maintain all these things uh, over any long period of time, and so they liquidated pretty well all the assets of the Japanese Canadian community at what can only be described as fire sale prices uh, before the end of the war. So that uh, the community lost its character as a community, and it lost its economic base as well. Well, I think there's a kind of deeper lesson here that, uh, you know, all of us as citizens of Canada today look back on these events and we deplore them, uh, deeply, deeply deplore them, and that we have apologized nationally uh, in, in I think, genuine, genuine ways. I, I think the, the apologies that have been um, expressed both symbolically in terms of payment and in terms of uh, government statements um, have come really from the heart, and uh, we all recognize that uh, there was a grievous injustice uh, done to a community of relatively defenseless people at this point in time. I don't think uh, we are even now uh, very fully aware, however, of some of the things you and I have talked about here, particularly the long-term implications uh, for the Japanese-Canadian minority um because it uh, it really uh was um it, the community was profoundly undermined as a community and it's never really existed in anything like its pre World War II state here uh, uh lots of migrant communities uh, begin to change over time as the generations become more uh completely incorporated into Canadian society but that's normally a process that um is kind of, um, it's not a forced process, put it that way. It's a process that is essentially cultural. And um, uh, what what I think has happened in the case of the Japanese-Canadian community is that because the the, the basis of community solidarity was undermined so dramatically, it, it forced the, the Japanese-Canadian community to, uh, to Canadianize in ways uh, that they probably would not have, at least in the short run, in the longer run, probably they, they would have. Uh, and what, is, what strikes me, uh, looking back on this, is how little recrimination and how little resentment has been uh, expressed by members of the Japanese-Canadian community in the face of uh, what, uh, for most of us, would have seemed uh, an enormous, enormous uh, affront, both in cultural terms and in very practical economic terms as well.
0: As always, today is a day full of Canadian history. Mary Ellen Smith was elected to the B.C. Legislature on this day back in 1918. She was the first woman to gain a provincial seat. Vincent Massey was appointed Governor General on this day back in 1952. He was our first Canadian-born Governor General. And watch that pocketbook. The GST was introduced by the Canadian federal government on this day back in 1990. And as always, on this day, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. The executive producers are Joe Bruma and Mark Affeld.